if you're here with me, we can make it, we can do it, right? There's a confidence there um, that leads to that idea of security. And it's recognizing that we can, as, as caregivers do that for us, as they consistently show up, as time goes on, it develops into that internal confidence of, I can show up that way for myself now, right? It's not always dependent on another person. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. You are listening to Don't Be Afraid to Talk podcast with James. If you are listening for the first time, you are welcome. Talking and listening is key for growth, and I hope our stories will bring us together and we can draw inspiration from each other. Conversation will include topics such as mental and physical health, trauma and its effect, suicidal thoughts, recovery, and well-being. We will continue to raise awareness and offer a different perspective a mindset or an idea that could inspire you to take charge of your well-being and to grow as a human being. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Ask the Therapist. Today I'm joined by Alexa who's a therapist based in Arizona, USA. <laughs> and so I really appreciate you coming on today to share some wisdom with us. And we're going to be talking all things in relation to attachments. If you are listening, have, have an open mind and we hope you can learn something from this episode. Alexa, how are you? Doing wonderful. Absolutely. Great. Sunny, great. very sunny over here. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, it's not so great in Dublin, but. It's just another day for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. same here. It's always sunny, mm. so. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That helps. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yes, absolutely. So I am a therapist, obviously, in Arizona, like you said. Um, I specialize specifically within trauma um, and kind of everything that comes with that. So there's lots of, you know, depression, anxiety, um, just from the life experiences that we have. And so I work with people, really kind of teenagers through adults, um, through their relationships, through their life changes, kind of all along the spectrum. Um, but looking at how we kind of interpret those experiences through um, our points of view and through our experiences. And so it's a joy, absolutely, to to be a therapist. Mm. And I love it. Mm. Did you do some social work before? Yes, I did. So my background is social work. So I, um, I've worked within social services, um, with kind of a, a very variation, like a varied population of people, um, with like older adults also worked within addiction and, uh, things like that before I kind of yeah. went into the more clinical side of things. Mm, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Super. Uh, that just me being nosy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good question. Um, so we before we get going, we're just going to play a quick game called One for One. Love it. I'll give you a word and you say the first word that comes to your mind. Mm, okay. So so there's five words. So you ready? Okay, I'm ready. The first one is trees. Green. Baseball. America. <laughs> Typical American thing. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Cooking. Ooh, vegetables. That's three. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> evolving. Always, always evolving. <laughs> always evolving. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> and the last one, metamorphosis. Ooh, metamorphosis. Uh, change, growth. More, more growth. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, that's it. Mm. Love <laughs> it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, so today we're going to be discussing attachment. So we start from the beginning. So what is attachment theory? Mm, absolutely. So attachment theory is um, kind of the way that we understand how we relate to each other. So um, our attachment styles, right? There's four different kind of four main ones that we um, identify with, right? There's Secure attachment, there's anxious preoccupied, there's fearful avoidant, and then dismissive avoidant. Mm. And essentially, attachment is its the blueprint through which we make our relationships. And so um, it's kind of seen along the spectrums of anxiety and avoidance. So, you know, high, high anxiety, low avoidance, things like that. Mm. And... It's, it's really the way that we process our life experiences, right? The attachments that we have in the relationships, that's how we understand how we fit in the world. Mm. And so it's it's an important thing for sure, um, but also something that we're not always super aware of for ourselves. No, no, we're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this obviously stems from childhood, from early childhood. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it really always ties back to, as much as we don't want to admit that, um, a lot of our attachment styles, well, all of it really, it's created within our childhood. So there's this idea of what we call like neuro templating, right? And so it's literally inside of our brain, how we are forming connections to understand how we fit with other people. And so our caregivers, whether that's our parents or grandparents or someone else, right? Whoever was our main caregiver growing up, that is where we start to form these attachments. And it becomes interesting because as we grow older right obviously the relationships that we have are going to be different than the ones we have with our caregivers or our parents mm. but we're kind of pulling from that past we're pulling from that blueprint that we've already created because our brain that's how we have processed things before and so because of that our attachment style becomes very important um and it does tie back to just like you said that childhood experience um, much to our chagrin, mm. but it's true. It, it really does tie back. Mm, mm. And it, it starts showing up in <laughs> relationships. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Friendships, romantic relationships, you name it. Mm. Great. So we start with, so I have written down four different styles. The words mm -hmm. could be different depending on where you're located, but it's essentially the same. For sure, yeah, for yeah. sure. So we start with the first one, which is secure attachment. How do we develop mm. that one? That seems yes. to be the, the nice one. <laughs> yes. It's the golden question. Everyone wants to understand, how do I create that secure attachment? And there, it's fascinating because that secure attachment doesn't necessarily mean that there's no conflict, there's no issue, right? But it's our ability to kind of bounce back through things. And so... Secure attachment really starts, uh, we start to form that, um, again, in childhood, but there's a theory from Dan Siegel, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but he's a wonderful uh, 
wonderful clinician and, and uh, researcher and writer. He's wonderful. Um, and he kind of posits that there are kind of four S's of secure attachment. And that is to be safe, to be seen, to be soothed, and then to be secure. And developing that, right, um, inherent in kind of each of those words is an action that we're receiving from somebody. So um, when we think back to childhood, mm. to be safe means that we have kind of that confidence that our caregiver is going to show up for us, um, that they are going to seek out ways that help us feel safe, even if it doesn't make sense for them, right? They are going to respond to our um, our needs. Um, similarly, to be seen is not just to be in the, the presence of somebody, right? It's not just that they're around and they're looking at you, but it's when you have a caregiver or a person that is looking at you and they're noticing what's coming up in you, right? Um, children, especially young infants, right? They don't have words to explain what's going on. And so parents have to become very attuned to what do certain cries mean? How do we respond, right? And so that secure attachment comes from this, the consistency of those caregivers of responding to what they're seeing. And that child starts to feel seen of, okay, when something happens to me, I know that there's going to be a response. It's not just radio silence. Mm -hmm. There's someone that's responding consistently to those things. Um, and, and kind of hand in hand with that is that idea of being soothed that, um, when there is distress, when there is conflict, that we're not just sitting in that conflict for a long mm. time, but there's someone that's coming in to, to be a part of that soothing. Right. And that soothing c continues to change and shift throughout our lives, but specifically as children, it's that there's someone that's kind of co-regulating with you. You're not just left to your own devices. You've got someone that's kind of sitting with you in that feeling. And I mean, you can probably relate to that feeling that when someone is willing to sit with you, mm. oh, doesn't that just feel mm. so good? Mm. <laughs> yeah. 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 It feels so nice. And it goes back to that idea of if you're here with me, we can make it. We can do mm. it. Right. There's a confidence there um, that leads to that idea of security. And it's recognizing that we can, as, as caregivers do that for us, as they consistently show up. As time goes on, it develops into that internal confidence of I can show up that way for myself now, mm. right? It's not always dependent on another person. It's building up almost that internal, um, what's the word? Confidence, right? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. that self-confidence and self-efficacy, right? Mm. That we can do it on our own as well. Um, and that's powerful. That is really powerful. And so in through childhood into our adulthood, it, it begins to shift on how it looks, mm. but it always comes back to that idea of consistency and confidence and being connected. Mm. So having that base is great for like, if you get a, I don't know, by the time you're adult, teenager or an adult, if you get a setback, mm -hmm. you can bounce back maybe a lot quicker. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Resilience. Mm -hmm. mm. And when you get into relationship, mm -hmm. Where does the where does the conflict begin or what where does it start? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So um within those adult relationships, right? Um, that secure attachment starts to sound kind of like that idea of here I am, I like you. If you don't like me, like that might hurt me a little bit, but I like me, so there's no need for me to to sit around, play games, right? I like me enough to know that if you don't like me, then okay, I can, I can withstand mm. that, right? There's a little bit more of a, a resilience and a adaptability, right? We, we can roll the punches, so to speak. And, and it's interesting too, because within that secure attachment, 
Um, it doesn't mean that nothing bad happens or that we never have bad feelings, right? But it's how we process with it that we're able to see, okay, well, what's the truth and what's the reality in the situation mm. instead of seeking out um, some of that kind of insecure attachment. Mm. So even with rejection, nobody likes rejection, but if you get rejected, oh, absolutely, you would uh, just accept that's what it is and move on mm-hmm. a lot easier. Absolutely. Yeah. Like a, a secure, a securely attached person is going to have a lot more um, capability of being alone, right? That being alone doesn't feel like this crushing weight that it's more of, okay, maybe I need some time for me, right? This is, you see this a lot in like post breakup, that if someone is securely attached, they're okay to take some time before they reach out and try and find a new relationship. Um, whereas if you mm. are in more of those anxious and secure attachments, it's, it's much, a much different story, right? But a securely attached person is okay to, to wait and have some time in between relationships because they're okay being with themselves. Mm. And so in a relationship, say you're getting into a relationship at the start. So if you have more secure attachments that you're more likely to kind of be forward with what you want and things like that with a person instead of. Absolutely. Instead of the mixed signals. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. There's, um, because we have that kind of, uh, again, it's that word confidence, right? We have that confidence mm-hmm. of who we are and where we are, um, that when conflict does arise, we're going to, we're going to rise to meet it and, and take it head on, right? We're not going to just avoid it and push past it. Um, we're going to want to resolve things. And, and again, that secure attachment, it, doesn't necessarily mean that there's no stressors ever, right? Like there is going to be stressful mm. stuff that happens. Um, but it's it always comes back to that idea of what's the, um, I've heard it called like the critical mass. What's the critical mass of our attachment? And if the majority of our attachment style tends to be kind of that secure um, pattern, that we're going to feel much more confident that's how we can bounce back right so no one person is going to be 100 percent fully securely attached all the time mm. um that would mean that we don't have any conflict ever like it's, it's ignoring yeah. any biological stressors right and so we're gonna have those little anxious and dismissive pieces that show up here and there but if the majority of our attachment is that secure attachment um that dictates kind of the long-term secure attachment that we will feel mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have that one. <laughs> we move on to the um, the next one, mm. which is avoidant. Yes. This is this is the fun yes. One. <laughs> this is the really fun one. <laughs> avoidant. So how how does that one start? <laughs> okay. So within kind of the avoidant, this is, this is the one you can blame your parents on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's it's. I like to say um, that we want to give accountability. Right. We're not blaming anyone. We're just going to give accountability no, where it's due. <laughs> no, no, we're not blaming anyone. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we're just, we're recognizing where things come from and we can give accountability when it needs to be given. Um, but that avoidant attachment, right? There's kind of two, two pieces within it. There's the, the fearful avoidant versus the dismissive avoidant. And so um, we'll go first with kind of that idea of dismissive avoidant attachment. And so um, this is an attachment style very much characterized by independence. So this is kind of like the lone wolf, the, the person that seems very cool, calm, collected, but always on their own, right? Um, when we go back to where that all starts from, right, it's this 
Uh, it comes from a place of inconsistency with caregivers. So if you're a child growing up and you've got parents that don't often respond to you, right? If you're expressing a lot of needs and those needs are never met, well, we're going to learn pretty quickly that, okay, expressing my needs doesn't guarantee that I'm going to be taken care of, right? And so in order right. to survive, there is a sense of self-reliance that starts to come out um, because if it's going to be this way forever, right? If people aren't going to respond to me, then I have to learn how to do that for myself, right? I, I like to think of this as like the arm's distance, right? Like I'm going to keep you at an arm's distance, disconnected, um, because it's safer for me over here if you stay over there. Um, mm. And it's 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 a perceived sense of safety, right? It's it's not actual safety, but it feels safe because that's historically what we've seen growing up is that if I take care of myself, if I play on my own, if I respond to myself, then I know my needs are going to be met far more often than if I'm relying on my caregivers. And it's it's really hard to be in that place because from it often starts from a very young age that that neglect starts to happen. And it doesn't always necessarily mean that a parent is being overtly abusive or overtly mm. neglectful, right? Mm. But even if just emotionally they're not showing up, that's going to have an impact. Mm. So it's not, it's not like you were left alone or things like that. It's the inconsistent with your your needs and your reaction. Absolutely. And emotionally, they, most of the time, they're not there. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's a hard place to be when you feel like your feelings aren't validated, when you feel like they're not responded to. I mean, think about, there's there was a study a long time ago, I'm, I'm going to forget all the details of it, um, but it's essentially, you know, it was a long, long time ago where um, they kind of they saw how babies would respond if they weren't, you know, picked up and held and rocked, how they would do um, by just, just feeding them, just keeping them alive, essentially, right? And really tragically, mm. most of them became very sick. And if I rem am remembering correctly, like some of them died because there was that lack of connection and attention. And to me, that goes right back to at our very core, um, emotional needs are not just these fluffy things that um, if they can get met, then it's great, right? It is inherent for our survival that we feel emotionally connected. And so to be in that kind of dismissive attachment style, the avoidant attachment style, it it is a very lonely thing because we're having to try and meet needs in a kind of creative way of being on our own, but it doesn't feel good. Like it feels mm. very threatening to be in that place. Mm. But it's what, essentially what you have to do to survive. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's instinctual to, to do that, to make sure that you stay okay. Mm. And so when you become an adult, then you start getting into relationships. Mm-hmm you're more likely to be obviously excited about your relationship, but always kind of like that. Yes. Yes. There's o always kind of av avoiding things. And mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So specifically within those uh, relationships, right. That it's going to feel safer for someone who is like the dismissive avoidant, right. To be far removed. Right. So they're going to feel more comfortable when there's not a sense of closeness. Um, and typically when we have that dismissive avoidant attachment style, we are going to seek out more of those like short casual relationships. We don't want that depth there mm. because that depth will feel threatening that suddenly there's this intimacy and there's this closeness that's expected. And if our 
if our safety coping skill has been to stay far away from that, well, then that's very threatening if someone is coming in and wanting to do that with us, right? So we're not going to want mm. to. It doesn't, uh, we don't want to even offer the opportunity of closeness. So we're going to seek out more of those very short, casual things. Mm. So this is where you're in a relationship with someone and your partner is like looking for, I don't know, your partner is complaining that you're not actually there. As in yes. like, you could be with them, but you're just far away. Mm-hmm. That's a, yes. And they're, they're like, talk to, talk to me. Yes. <laughs> you know, like. That's the, that is the perfect example is being in that relationship where, um, you know, you're asking your partner like, Hey, I want to, I want to connect with you. I want to be close to you. And the response is I'm here. Like I'm here. I'm present. Right. But that's not presence alone. Isn't sufficient for that intimacy, for that closeness. And so it's, it is often going to feel like that tug of war when you're in a relationship with someone who has that dismissive avoidant connection or attachment. Because you're going to want more and more and more from them. And the more that you want from them, the less they're going to want to be around you, right? The more walls that are going to go up. Because because there is mm. a fear. Someone who is more in that dismissive place, right? Um, we're going to be very picky about who we choose to keep in our circle because we don't want to get hurt. And so the fact that when someone does want more of that closeness, that's going to be really threatening. Like, no, no, no. Stay far away. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that because that doesn't feel good. Mm. So you you might still like you like the person and you want to be in a relationship, yeah. but your makeup is that it's safer yes. for them to be there and you to be here. Yes, yes. Which logically we can challenge that and say that doesn't make sense, right? But it's not it's not a conscious response that we're having in those moments. Like I think that's an important thing mm. to remember is that yeah. attachment is not this conscious thing that we're like, oh, I'm going to do this on purpose, right? It's, a, we, yeah. it's been programmed into us. We're running the program. And it's, uh, there's a, Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick actually uses this, this phrase of um, relational programming, that that is how we have been programmed. And so in our relationships, it's going to, it's going to pop up because it's already been programmed into us. And it's hard because starting to shift that means that we have to gain awareness to something that we're already doing subconsciously. And it can be a hard shift to, to recognize those patterns. Mm. So, yeah, like you said, that these behaviors are happening subconsciously. So mm. you're not aware that you're doing it. <laughs> it's like, yes. It's not. Yes, like, this absolutely. Is what I'm, this is what I'm going to do. But is this yes. what feels right for you? And you think it's mm-hmm. the right thing, even though it could be. Well, it's the yes. right thing for you. Yes. But it could be damaging to the relationship. Yeah. And do you think with that, say when the relationship doesn't work because obviously one person is looking for yeah. one thing and you're looking for the other. Yes. If that relationship ends, do you think those people tend to miss the other person more? As in like, they like the idea of it, but don't, they don't really like mm, to be yes. in it. Oh, that's a great question. Um, in a sense, yes. But also given the survival that has been needed before, there is a tendency to have more of that sharp cutoff of, okay, well, I guess that wasn't for me, right? And there is a kind of a quick turnaround of, well, I'll, I'll just do it on my own now, right? So there, there is a little bit of that, but there is more of a sharp cutoff of, you know, I just got to do me. And mm. and so it, it becomes a hard place because we are wired for connection. We want to feel close. And so when our relational programming is taking us away from that, there is now there's this internal conflict of, 
this doesn't feel comfortable, but I want it, but I don't, but I do. Right. It's <laughs> very, very conflicted inside. Mm. It's like your, your mind's telling you one thing. Yes. Your body's telling you another thing. Yes. So you're like, yeah, it's confusing. Yeah. Your body's looking for closeness and your mind's like, oh, no, no, mm-hmm. no, no. <laughs> yes. Not, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're not doing that. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's that, like, that has to be difficult for someone. Obviously, it's not. Yeah. Like, these styles, like, they're not, you can always work on them to move mm-hmm. towards a more healthier one. Yeah. Yeah. But you, but you have to be aware of what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think, James, just like you said, that there is inherently there's usually some sort of trauma experience that's related to the formation of this attachment style, Mm. right? And when I say trauma, I don't necessarily mean it has to be some big thing, but even the, the lack of things is traumatic for anybody. And so if there's a lack of emotional connection, well, that's a trauma for somebody and so as we start to process through this and attempt to heal some of that dismissive avoidance stuff, right? That means that we're going to have to go back and understand, well, where did this start? And kind of resolving and acknowledging that there maybe is some some trauma patterns there. Mm. And, and what does that mean for me now? What are the beliefs that I have about that now? Mm. Yeah, that's digging into a hole <laughs> you need to be ready for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and it, it can be very heavy because – acknowledging acknowledging the past um we do a really good job of writing stories for ourselves right like we have the story that we tell um if someone asks you about you know what was your childhood like well we usually have like a canned answer that we're going to say when if we really were neglected and abused right we're not going to necessarily come right down and be like i was neglected and (laughs) abused how about you right (laughs) Um, we have the story yes yes and and so you know, starting to deconstruct those stories that we've held on to for a long time. Oh my goodness, that is that's stressful to even think about because now we have to go. We're stepping into the unknown, right? Things aren't black and white anymore. We're stepping into the gray, mm. and that's that's scary. So that that kind of goes against that idea of it doesn't feel safe. And so if if we're always kind of geared towards trying to feel safe, especially like coming back to that dismissive avoidant attachment, right? That was built from trying to find safety. Well, going back and deconstructing, that doesn't sound safe. And so it's it's hard. It's hard to mm, do that. Mm. Fun, fun. How can I recognize that on myself? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So recognizing it in ourselves, right, uh, is just noticing, noticing how you feel when it comes to intimate moments, right? So not just within romantic relationships, but closeness in friendships uh, with family and with romantic partners is how are you responding in those moments when someone is seeking out intimacy with you, when they're attempting to make connections with you? Um, as listening to if it feels like you are starting to shut off, if there's maybe some dissociation associated with that, that's some good indicators that, okay, this doesn't feel good for me. I wonder why that is, right? Is asking the question of why why is this not comfortable? And if you're finding that maybe being on alone on your own is the safest, well, then also asking, why might that be? Right? <laughs> to be introverted doesn't mean that you have dismissive avoidant attachment styles, right? But it's rather if you don't allow anybody in, if the only person that you trust is yourself, well, that's that's a time to maybe be a little more questioning of, okay, how come? Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. Like why doing this makes me feel uncomfortable? Anything. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So give yeah. me a, give me a hug. Oh, I feel uncomfortable doing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I move on to my next one: anxious attachments. Yes. Okay. So this is probably one of the ones that we see the most. So this idea of like the anxious preoccupied attachment, like all attachments, it starts early on, right? And so um, this often does derive from again inconsistency of caregivers. Um, but it is characterized with that high anxiety um, in connection um, with with worry, like in romantic relationships. It's it's usually high anxiety if the other person is as connected or as devoted as they are, right? It's it's definitely that feeling of like being a clingy person, right? Clingy person. Um, <laughs> there is a fear of abandonment, and so safety is always going to be the priority within that anxious attachment. Um, we're trying to find a way to stay close. We're trying to find a way to um, make things work. Um, but it's often associated with a fairly low self-esteem, like a negative self-image with this idea of propping up others, mm. right? So this is someone who probably characterizes like, oh, like going back to childhood, um, let's say there was a divorce, right? And dad dad left and mom stayed, right? That there's a sense of the story that we're going to tell in that moment as you know, you know, dad left and that was kind of hard, but like my mom, angel mother, she made things work. Right. Um, and from the outside sounds nice, right? Like, Oh, they, they were able to process that. But the reality is that that angel mother probably had some not good moments too. Right. But we're only looking at those good moments because that's the only attachment that we had. And so we want things to, we want things to be beautiful and wonderful and great. Right. And it doesn't mm. necessarily mean that there is neglect, right. That, when we are feeling that sense of insecurity within the relationship, it doesn't mean that there was neglect, but there maybe was an avoidance of any display of emotion, right? Or display of negative emotions. So if, if there's a parent that was like, you know what, no drama, we're only gonna, only happy thoughts, only happy feelings. Well, now anytime I feel those negative feelings, there's nowhere to put them. And so I'm going to start to curate myself that I'm only going to show up as that happy person. I'm only, only going to show parts of myself. And again, anytime we feel that we're feeling that negative emotion, well, now we're going to punish ourselves. And so it's this kind of sticky place where we want to feel close and we want to almost like shift ourselves to mm. be in that close place. But it also means kind of neglecting ourselves in the process. Mm. So like you mentioned, so as a child, if you're only being allowed to show the good emotions. Yeah. Say the good emotions. Right. <laughs> so all the yeah, there's no good all the so-called bad emotions, right. you're just hiding them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I like the way that you framed that though, right? That uh, good or bad emotions, like there's no such thing. Emotions are just emotions. No. Right. But <laughs> yes. there is we do develop that sense of if if some emotions are being uh prioritized and others are not, right? Well then we're gonna learn pretty quick, even if no one says oh, you're only allowed to feel this way, right? Well, we're going to learn if they're giving positive attention to those other things. Well, that's what we want then because we want positive attention. And so we're going to learn mm. that they're in, inside our own brains. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out which ones we deem as good or bad. Mm. Yeah. When, it become, when it comes to relationship, are you most likely to be the person that's a people pleaser? Mm, absolutely. Because you're... Because you're anxious all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, not all the time, but yeah. But, but yes, within those relationships, right? Um, people pleasing again. It's a safety tactic that we use. That if we can keep other people happy, if we can make sure that other people feel good, 
then maybe that means, one, we can believe it for ourselves, but two, that they're less likely to leave. And so that people-pleasing perfectionism, right, it really shows up in those anxious attachments because we're preoccupied. We're preoccupied with making sure that everything's okay, right? We're very sensitive to if things feel a little bit off, we're going to be super hypervigilant about what what that means, right? So this might look like, you know, your partner comes home at the end of the day and they had a long day at work and so their just energy is low, but they walk in the door and you feel the energy low and you're like, oh my gosh, what did I do? What did I do? Why are they mm-hmm. mad at me? Even though they're probably not mad at you, but we have taken that to mean if there's any negative expression, okay, well, what do I do to fix that now? And we internalize it because um, it's almost a way of kind of taking back our own power. If we can internalize it and say, this is my fault, well, then that feels like it's something we can fix, um, even though it's not necessarily, right? Um, but that people-pleasing mm. pattern absolutely comes out in those moments because we want to, at all costs, remain connected. And if that means sacrificing our own pleasures, our own um, feelings, right, then we'll do it because that means that we're going to retain that relationship. Mm. Mm. And this kind of style, obviously you get to a point where you explode, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, absolutely. No one can tolerate that for forever, right? Um, But that explosion Mm. doesn't always, I mean, it's usually not directed at the thing that you were actually upset about, right? It's we're going to project it into Mm. other things um, because that's going to be easier than accepting the internal part. Mm. And do you think for... These, well, not these people, but you know what I mean. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. They're more likely to hold on to relationship that they're not happy with. Uh, that's a, yes, that's a great insight that we are more likely to stay in relationships that aren't good for us um, because we don't want to lose that relationship. So um, there is a panic that's attached to our partner's actions, right? We're going to be on high alert for looking for danger in any any way, shape, or form. Um, and we can be very consumed with understanding how we present ourselves in, in those relationships because if we are, if we know how our partner, if we feel like we know what our partner feels about us and that is a positive thing that we can mm. feel about us, it's going to feel so much better because in that, you know, preoccupied connection, it's difficult to believe what our partner is telling us, right? And so we're going to constantly mm. seek affirmation you're happy, right? We're good, right? Right. It's we're gonna want to check a lot because we don't always feel connected, right? And within that anxious attachment, this is you see that show up a lot within people who maybe rebound into more relationship after relationship. That it's hard to be alone mm. um, because there's no safety in being alone at that point. Mm. So the most likely could end up in another relationship and repeat the same pattern. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I like to kind of think of it through like real life examples. So um, the show that was popular a a while back was uh, Friends, right? And so um, Mm. Ross is a character in in Friends. And he, to me, is one of the classic examples of someone who (laughs) is anxiously attached, right? Because he's insecure about his relationships. Mm. He um, there's a specific like mm. episode where he shows up at his partner's work because he's threatened yeah. by a coworker, <laughs> right? Like just all this over the top stuff. <laughs> and then as soon as he breaks up, right? Like the evening that they break up, he goes and he gets with somebody else right away. 
And it's just this idea of when we cannot trust, right? It comes back to that basis of trust is that we don't trust that what people are telling us is true. And so we want to seek out any and all information that can prove to us what's actually going on. But we are less likely to accept the positive proof, but we are and more likely to take on kind of the negative feedback. Mm. Even though like positive one feels good, but you're, mm-hmm. you're still a bit like skeptical about it. <laughs> totally. Yes. There's always, there's always skepticism kind of laced within any connection, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. It's like, I told you. Right yes. Here. Yes. <laughs> Even if you heard it the day before, right? It still is. Okay. I want to hear it again though. Like, do you feel differently mm. now? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, geez. yeah that, that sounds tiring. <laughs> Absolutely. It's exact. And it's hard because that kind of constantly seeking out that affirmation, it's, again, it's coming back to they're trying to find that we are trying, and I say they, but I mean, truthfully, all of us at some point experience that anxious attachment. Um, we're trying to find a way to feel safe. And so that reassurance, um, mm. it doesn't last for very long, but it's trying, we're trying to find a way to be okay. And so, while while the person who is anxiously attached is feeling that right uh, trying to find a way to be okay the person that they're seeking out reassurance from is going to probably get frustrated right it's it is a frustrating pattern when you if you have a friend or or a loved one that is constantly asking you like hey you still like me right like after a while it gets kind of tiring of like i don't know do i because it gets exhausting of kind of reassuring over and over and over even though we love them right Mm. we just get a little bit tired Mm. so if you're more anxiously attached are you most likely so, say, in a relationship where you're ringing your partner and they're not answering? <laughs> sure. And yeah, straight away, you start thinking all sorts. And if they, like, even when you're ringing, they, like, stop the call, that makes it even worse, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, um, because within those anxious, like, in the anxious attachment place, right, we are overthinkers, right? Because we are so attuned to our environment so attuned to any possible expression or movement, right? That when, if we're, you know, we're calling someone up and they're dismissing the call or they're not answering or they're not responding to our texts fast enough, right? Well, then the overthinking sets in and and we're already starting to problem solve for, oh my gosh, why don't they like me anymore? Am I too much, right? We are overanalyzing our behavior in an attempt to change our behavior so that they will want to be with us more. Um, just mm. always trying to prioritize that idea of intimacy and connection. Um, but the way that we're seeking it out is in ways that are detrimental to us and our relationship. Yeah. I'll go on to my next one. <laughs> the, yes. The next yes. one is anxious avoidance. So this is, yeah. So this is like two, <laughs> you're anxious and you're avoidance as well. Yes. <laughs> it's a wonderful combo. Wonderful combo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, Again, this one will stem from childhood as well. So this is, I'm guessing, for this person, mm-hmm. your childhood, in terms of emotionally, probably wasn't that great. Now, you're not going to think that, but yeah, emotionally yeah. wasn't. Yeah, yeah. So it's true that there there often is, um, when it comes to that kind of like anxious avoidant or like fearful avoidant attachment, right? Um, that it, it does stem back to that childhood, but often it's a very avoidant and disorganized attachment that we have as children. And so that can be within a house that maybe from the outside looked normal, quote unquote normal, mm. right? Um, but there still is, there, there's a reason for the discomfort, right? So this is where we feel kind of that sense of discomfort within those intimate relationships. So 
while dismissive is a little bit more like arm's length, right? Um, fearful is similar in that way, um, but there is this kind of incessant fear of getting hurt and, and an avoidance of any close relationships, right? This is kind of not wanting to enter into a relationship at all because it is not a comfortable place to be. Right? Mm. There, fear is very much a part of that, right? There's high avoidance um, and high fear, right? Mm. High anxiety. Mm. So this is the people that are like, I like relationship, but it just, <laughs> I don't want to get hurt. So I'll, I'll stay safe. Yes, absolutely. It is, um, it's attempting to be in those relationships, but then when things start to feel too close, being like, okay, no, I've got to cut off and I got to go. Like it doesn't feel comfortable to, to stay close. Mm. It feels very uncomfortable, um, for a lot of reasons, mm. but, but it it is terribly, terribly uncomfortable to be in those close relationships because, um, it just is, it's so difficult to feel close. It's so difficult to feel close. And there also is that sense of if we, if we do allow someone to trust, right? That the people that mm. we relied on to trust in the beginning, right? Didn't show up in that way or showed up very, very volatile, right? So kind of the up and down, hot and cold. Um, there is something almost seductive in this attachment style, right? That we almost seek out. Like we're seeking out the closeness, but then we don't actually want it because the chase becomes this very interesting thing. Like it becomes very um, fascinating without mm. actually being helpful or secure, safe, right? But the chase itself itself starts to feel almost intoxicating, right? It's this like false high mm. of if I can get close and it will feel good. And then we get close and we're like, I don't really like it anymore. Right. No. And so we cut and run. <laughs> um, and so it's just, it's this back and forth cat and mouse chase of feel close. Don't feel close. Feel close. Don't feel close. Mm. And do you think for this person, they're more likely to take on behaviors that would push their partner away? Absolutely. Absolutely. If they can't, if they can't get rid of them. <laughs> totally. Like, it's that idea of like self-sabotage, right? If, if we can, we can't change mm. the outside stuff, then we'll just change ourselves to, kind of create that chaos, right? Um, again, not necessarily consciously. It doesn't necessarily become a conscious thing that yeah, we're doing. This is... um, but yeah, exactly like you said, that um, it becomes difficult to regulate our own emotions in those moments. And so we, mm -hmm. we might start to pick up those traits that will push a partner away because it's going to, again, help us to feel safer um, in those moments. Mm. And then they think, how come you've changed... <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's interesting because within that kind of fearful avoidant attachment, um, it's difficult to regular regulate our emotions. <clears throat> and then we do tend to have, you know, these strong, um, we avoid the strong emotional attachments because we don't want to get hurt. And so that's the difficult side is that we tend to be very lonely, even when we're connected. Mm. Right. So there's a loneliness kind of, intertwined through all those pieces is that even when there there is that relationship present there still is a loneliness of we don't really want to let people in right and again going back to that idea of like it's like mm. the chase that is this almost like a sense of high um if if i can you know gain that closeness even when we capture it where it's kind of a letdown of okay well this doesn't feel good like i thought it would 
Yeah. It's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a fun anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you can be in a relationship with someone and still feel alone. Absolutely. And that's, I honestly yeah. don't know if there's um, a much lonelier experience than that. A feeling like even when you're with someone, yeah, that's... that you still are alone. It's, it is an incredibly isolating feeling. Yeah. At least as an adult, you might do something about it. But if that's happening to a child, Jesus. Absolutely. Yes. That's where it becomes, yeah. oh, it's so, it's so hard because there's not much you can do. Going, like you said, back to like the very beginning of kind of that like neuro templating that we're creating. Um, we, we do things for safety. And so like, there's, um, like hide, shelter, shield, right? Like those are things that we do when we feel that fear. And so as a child, that might look like running to your closet and shutting the door and keeping yourself away. As a, an adult, we don't do that quite as much, but we might show up in a similar way that is going to accomplish the same feeling, right? So I'm not running mm. away to hide in my closet instead. Um, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm, I'm stonewalling you. I'm not talking to you about what's going on. I'm pulling away. I'm throwing myself into my hobbies, right? Because I, if I can emotionally wall off, well, then I'll have a moment to maybe feel safe again. Mm. And how, to, how do you recognize that one? It's, uh, it's not a pleasant one anyway. Absolutely. It is not a pleasant one, right? Um, but the key with that is to kind of admit, but also realize that um, the switch, so to speak, of emotional intimacy has to be turned on, right? And it, it, it requires a lot of effort, but it is a sense of we have to be committed to attempting to turn that on because there is a lack of intimacy in that fearful avoidant attachment. And we we might want to, mm -hmm. we have to start paying attention to both the emotional and the physical sensations that come up around emotions, right? Emotional intimacy. Self-reflection is a part of that, right? But even just being curious of, okay, what am I feeling right now? Right. Sometimes I think it can feel a little bit woo woo to be like, what's my body experiencing? But the reality is that our body stores so much that yeah. it's going to be having reactions, whether we're paying attention or not. And so when we turn that attention back and say, okay, what am I feeling mm -hmm. right now? Right. Well, it's probably a feeling that you have felt before and it probably is familiar, um, but we have to actually be willing to look at it. Right. And so exploring, understanding and expressing those needs. Now, mm -hmm. That expression of needs probably comes a little bit later down the road. Like we have to get more <laughs> familiar yeah. with it, right? Because if expression hasn't been met, yes, yes. If expression hasn't been met with um, someone attempting to help us feel safe or feel seen, right? Well, then we're not going to want to do it. And so we have to build up, build up more understanding for ourselves and then be able to express um, mm. and work on building those relationships and, and, you know, start one at a time. You have to start one at a time within your relationships. Um, if we want to change that connection, it's going to take a little bit of effort. Um, it's a lot harder to think about doing everything all at once. If you can take just one person at a time, then it gives you a chance to kind of feel out what feels best for you um, mm. and to go from there. Mm. Mm. And how, how important is it to kind of be familiar with this? Obviously, it's not something you you bring up on a first date, like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, I will just, say something that is. Sorry, go ahead. Just for yourself, like to kind of know, know yourself better, essentially. Yes, um, this is a a great moment to the importance of understanding your attachment style. Um, 
it's not to shame or bully ourselves into saying, oh, you're doing something wrong, right? Um, if, if you don't feel like you have that overall, um, if the majority of your relationships don't feel like secure attachments, that's not because you did anything wrong, right? We want to take the shame away right out the bat that you didn't do anything to cause this, right? It started early on. Now, certainly we influence that as things grow older, but it's based on that uh, understanding and our theory that this began before you even had the ability to talk, the ability to walk. And so if we're shifting those patterns, right, we got to have some grace that we've at this point been living with it our whole lives. And so um, to understand it and to start to be, you know, just self-reflective of how is this showing up for me, it allows you to be more more in tune in your relationships, but also to be more mm. present. Because when you are recognizing your own patterns, you're going to also be attuning not just to yourself, but to your partner as well, right? Um, and at the end of the day, we, we do a lot of our healing through relationships, but that doesn't mean that you have to be in a relationship to heal your attachment. Um, mm. quite frankly, a lot of our healing starts first with ourselves, right? The relationship that we have back with ourselves. um, truly in a lot of my work, that is what we, in my work with clients is we're, mm. we're finding a way to do that for ourselves because we're not always going to be able to go back to our parents, Right. And fix that yeah. that relationship because they might not no. be willing. Right. They might be gone. They might not be willing. Mm. They might be um, an unsafe person. But we can go back and learn how, OK, what did I actually need? Right. Um, and we call it like reparenting ourselves that maybe we need to go back and figure out what did I need to hear back then? Because you probably still want to hear it now. It's just going to sound a little bit different. Right. Mm. Um, and so understanding your style and understanding how you show up in your relationships allows you to understand your own needs to attune to the needs of your partner and to feel that deeper level of intimacy. Um, and I think a cool thing about uh, kind of the, the up and coming generation is that they are a lot more um, information. They're a lot more curious about stuff like this. And so the idea of, yeah. you know, let's take, let's take an attachment style quiz. Um, that is not outside the norm. So, no, um, there's that. <laughs> There's a quiz I'm going to do as well myself to see. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and you know, there are mm. a lot that are out there that are quite accurate. And is it going to tell you everything you need to know? Not necessarily, but sometimes it's helpful to just be able to run that test for yourself and see, okay, where am I? Right. And to go from mm. there and to, you know, just build up your own understanding and education around what attachment is. Mm. Mm. I think once you kind of get that, you start becoming curious of it. Yes. You, you might start saying that it, it wasn't the people in your relationship, it was you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Because when you can recognize that, right, there is a power in taking ownership. If we can take ownership of what we've experienced, that's going mm. to give us a sense of, okay, I can do something with this, right? Because if it's everyone else's fault all the time, well, that's really discouraging, <laughs> right? But if we can take our piece and say, okay, I'll own this, right? Um there is, it's kind of empowering to know, okay, I can do something. Mm. And just in relation to, sorry, a few more questions on this. Yes. <laughs> just in relation to the four of them. So you have the secure, avoidant, anxious, and anxious avoidant. When it comes to matching. <laughs> sure. So just, for, just from what we're talking about. So the, the anxious person is most likely to be matched with the avoidance person. Do you think? Um, often, yes, because <clears throat> again, there is, 
that avoidance, right? So if they're, they're, the anxious person is seeking out a lot of comfort, right? But their parent was not that way, right? Their parent, that's why we have that anxious attachment is that someone wasn't showing up consistency, consistently. We're going to seek out whether we, it's not actually what we want, right? But it's familiar. And so mm. we are going to seek out that familiarity of if this person is sometimes available. Yeah, we're going to like that because it feels very similar. Mm. Mm. And avoidant is the ones that are sometimes available and sometimes they're not. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's inconsistent. It's up and down. Mm. Mm. Yes. And if you're in a secure bracket, now, we've all kind of moved up and down those styles. Yes. Like you, I don't think you can just be one and that's it. Correct. Correct. We are all over. We are yeah. a mix. We're a beautiful mix of all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just... Some are more stronger than the other. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And if you're more... Sec- Essentially, we are trying to move to more secure attachment style. Yes. With a bit of awareness. Yes. That's kind of, what well, not the top part. It's the one that's more... It's... I mean, we, we can call it for what it is. That that is the top one, right? That is what we want. It's not... Um, and it's not an unrealistic thing to want, but that is... That secure attachment is absolutely what we're seeking out. It's kind of built into us to want to feel safe. And that is the purest form of safety is within that secure attachment. Mm. And if you, yeah, I think we covered this. I was going to ask you in relation to abandonment, mm. that will probably fall under the avoidance category. You know, abandonment kind of falls under, it can fall under each of them. But within avoidant and within anxious um, attachment styles, mm. you do see that kind of theme of abandonment. Specifically, yes, within you see it a lot more within like the dismissive and fearful avoidance. Uh, but it is a theme there because if we are abandoned, right, that is um, absolutely that sense of being left alone, right? Having to figure out and self-rely, mm. Um from a very early age. And so that idea of, you know, we call it abandonment issues, right? Um, that is just another way to describe that kind of fearful or dismissive of when attachment, um, because we don't want to be alone. We, we don't, we are fearful of being mm. left on our own because think about it, it. It goes back to a very innate sense that if we are alone, if we go back to like our primitive brain, right? Being alone as a caveman means that, the wild animal comes and you're alone, you get eaten by the animal, right? If you've got a bunch of people, mm-hmm. if you've got a village of people and the wild animal comes, well, you kill the animal and your things are good. And so to be alone goes back to that very innate sense of, I am not safe. And if we want to take it all the way to the deepest level, there sometimes is even that threat of, I will die if I am alone. We aren't necessarily consciously thinking when we feel lonely mm. that we're going to die. No. But... Truthfully, at its deepest core, we feel incredibly unsafe at a bodily harm level because being alone historically has meant that we would not survive. And so abandonment issues go very deep. And it's not just this kind of like word or phrase that we throw out there to say that someone, you know, doesn't know how to attach correctly. It's that they have a fear that comes from a very real place. Hmm. Brilliant. Just, so one more question just came to mind before I asked my last one. Yes. Um, we all of these attachment styles. So when you meet someone first time, when everything is great, I'm guessing 
at that stage, these things don't show up. Yeah, not always. It it, it sometimes takes some time. Absolutely. Because mm, you're probably and, too excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there yeah. is with any relationship, right? There is. Um, we all do it. We put on our best our best self to make a good impression, and it's a normal, natural thing. That's how we, as humans, are built. Um, but sometimes, uh, yeah, those attachment styles they tend to come out as time goes on, and it is okay in the beginning to. I mean, you don't necessarily have to come to someone and say, what's your attachment style and why is it that way, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> we don't <laughs> uh, we don't have to necessarily start in that way. But it is okay to ask, start ask, asking those questions, you know, like what was – I'm curious what your childhood was like. Like what's – tell me about your, your parents or who you grew up with. Just to start laying that foundation of where have you come from, right? And even the yeah. way that people start to process and, you know, kind of walk through those things, it's going to give you some indicators. And just because someone – is maybe more of that anxious attachment style or fearful or dismissive avoidant attachment style. Doesn't mean that they are a bad person or that they can't or that they're not capable of being in a secure and healthy relationship. It just means that we have to have a little bit more insight and recognition of what we each need to do to shift and change that, right? And it takes effort for sure. Um, mm. but it doesn't automatically mean that they aren't a good partner. It just means that they need to be aware and take their own steps to make sure that they are showing up in their, as their healthiest self and that you also mm. are showing up as your healthiest self as well. Mm. And in relationship and career, you can have both. You can pretty much like in your career, you can be very secure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to romantic relationship, you could be anxious. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we we really are a, a beautiful kaleidoscope of all sorts of attachments, <laughs> depending on who we're with, right? And depending on what yeah. we're getting from the other person, it's going to kind of breed some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And my final question is, what do you do for fun? <gasps> what do I do for fun? Oh, that's a wonderful question. Um, I really like to be outside. So um, my spouse and I, we there's a river, um, maybe... 15 minutes from our house and so we will mm. take kayaks and we'll go um out to the river and it's it's a very slow river it's not not a lot of rapids and we will just float down the river for you know hour hour and a half um often at night we'll go when it's a full moon um and so that mm. is one of my favorite things is to be outside to be in nature yeah it's beautiful mm, sounds relaxing as well <laughs> oh it is there's there's even there's wild horses that um are around the area and so You'll be floating down the river and there just will be some wild horses just hanging out in the river. It's awesome. Yeah. Calm. Yeah, it sounds peaceful. Yes. Oh, it's <laughs> yeah. it's so peaceful. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Fantastic. <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank this you. has been wonderful. It's Thank a wonderful you. discussion. It's always interesting to to understand a little bit more about why we function the way we do. If you have enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a quick review on my Facebook page, Don't Be Afraid to Talk, or DM me on Instagram. The show notes will include all the relevant links from today's episode. If you haven't already, please download, leave a rating, and share with your friends. You might just reach the person who needs to hear this message. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. I am James Lumumba, signing off with gratitude.